was ahead of his time. He went to places like Stonehenge. He went to Avebury. And he discovered a lot of new things, not only about dowsing, but about archaeology. In fact, if it wasn't for Guy's visits to Stonehenge, we wouldn't know what the Stonehenge environs look like. He saved the Cursus Monument. He saved the round barrows that you see close to Stonehenge. He physically stood in front of the bulldozer and said, go through me before you plough these out. Hi, I'm Graham Gardner. Thanks for joining me for Adventures in Dowsing, podcast number 56. So, what's this? New year, new theme tune. I thought it was time to try some different music on the podcast. Uh, This one is by the Swedish band Wintergarten, and it's titled Marble Machine Song Piano Version. If you're wondering what a marble machine is, do go and check out the amazing Wintergatten YouTube channel because uh, the video of uh, Martin's original hand-built machine became a bit of a YouTube sensation and is now building an improved Marble Machine X using computer-aided design, 3D printing, CNC machines and a whole cooperative team of engineering nerds. It's really amazing uh, viewing, watching this new machine coming together. So do go and check it out and let me know what you think of this music. But back to this episode, and I'm digging into the archives to uh, the BSC's 2013 conference and this talk from Maria Wheatley. Maria is a renowned dowser based near Avebury, and she inherited a lot of Guy Underwood's material from her father, Dennis, and I'd asked her to come along uh, to this conference and do this talk, as we felt it was time for a reappraisal of Guy's work. Guy was a very prolific dowser who developed his own geodetic system and also invented his own dowsing rod, the geodetic rod, which still has some fans today. Now, it's always difficult with these um, uh, conference talks, as there's a lot of visual material involved. I have to edit bits out here that don't uh, seem to make sense if you don't have the picture to go with it. So I hope what remains uh, still makes sense. Anyway, over to Maria. Hi, well, thanks for inviting me along to talk about uh, Guy Underwood, because the whole theme of this conference is looking back to move forwards. And this is where I think we can learn an awful lot from master dancers like Guy Underwood. Because Guy was so ahead of his time. He invented a new way of dowsing. He invented a a dowsing rod. And he was learning accurately to look at the patterns that the earth admits. And we're going to be looking at these patterns. He claimed, Guy, that these patterns were intimately associated with a particular type of underground water that has now been proved because there's more water than just H2O, and we're going to be having a look at that. And we're going to be having a look at how this sacred waters, born within the uh, womb of the earth, if you like, match perfectly the water in our bodies, and especially the water in our cells. Like I said, Guy was ahead of his time, and he he went to places like Stonehenge, and we're going to be looking at the patterns at Stonehenge. He went to Avebury. And he discovered a lot of new things, not only about dowsing, but about archaeology. In fact, if it wasn't for Guy's visits to Stonehenge time and time again, we wouldn't know what the Stonehenge environs look like. He saved the Cursus Monument. He saved the round barrows that you see close to Stonehenge. He physically stood in front of the bulldozer and said, go through me before you plough these out. (coughs) So we're going to be having a look at the environment that he saved. 
Our first slide shows Michael Parker Pearson. I'm sure we've all heard of Michael Parker Pearson. He's a very famous Stonehenge archaeologist. This is Michael, very close to my hometown in Marlborough, where Michael claims to have found the first Neolithic road that linked Avebury to Stonehenge. It went right the way through Marlborough and across the dams. And there's Michael standing on it. Everybody prior, near enough to that excavation, had thought the Romans made roads. And that was like a flatliner for people like Michael Parker Pearson. He suddenly thought, wow, the Neolithic, they had roads. But Guy, again being ahead of his time, he discovered the first Bronze Age road. And it was paved. Yeah? He said there was roads following energy currents in the land that were paved. When I su suggested that to Michael Parker Pearson, that they were going to find paved roads in the Stonehenge environs, he said, oh, I can't see them being paved. Well, guess what? They're all paved. Guy Underwood, as well, was very famous for a gold find, using dowsing, not like how we use dowsing today with information dowsing. Through his own method of dowsing, he could find things. Guy found things through dowsing by following the patterns in the land, not by using the show-me technique or information dowsing. And using his technique we're going to explore, he found a huge gold find near Bradford-upon-Avon in a place called Farley Wick. So he then realised that this dowsing system works. And where did these energies come from? Guy also found, and I showed this survey to Michael Parker Pearson, which helped out in their excavations. This is a survey by uh, Guy Underwood. It shows Woodhenge, Durrington Walls, and it shows a temple complex there as well. You see, Guy had doused that area and said there are square structures at Durrington Walls. They're square structures, and they go up three stories high. And again, Michael Parker Pearson said, before they excavated Durrington Walls, there are no square structures at Durrington Walls. And lo and behold, what did they find? A whole city at Durrington Walls. The people that built Stonehenge lived in rectangular structures uh, in Durrington Walls, and he found their Holy Healing Temple. And he found the Holy Healing Temple through the Earth Force. You see, Guy categorised a lot of different things, all under one label, and he called it the Earth Force. And he said, this Earth Force has consciousness. This Earth Force can count in numbers. And if you look in Douse and Divine the Land, you will see the numerical value of lines and patterns. We're going to be having a look at that. So we need to see Gaia now, the Earth Force, as a mitten patterned in numerical sequences that we're going to see is going to mirror our body. So Guy investigated these types of energies. He was very well aware of ley lines. And he was very well aware that if you link into these energies, they start to change your consciousness as well. And that's what he was really looking at. He was looking at how these types of earth energies affect our left side of our body or our right side of the body and how the patterns represent the chakra system. But bear in mind, this was the 1940s. He was talking about all of this in the 1940s. And before I show you a pattern, I'd really like to say thank you to a chap called John Martineau. Have you heard of John Martineau from Wooden Books? Yeah. Back in the late 80s and the early 90s, my late father was divine in Woodhenge, 
and uh, he had a little scrabbly picture of a Kai Underwood survey, and this chap called John Martineau came along and said, Dennis, I have all the unpublished surveys of Guy Underwood and his original manuscripts to the pattern of the past. Would you like them? And of course, you know, Daddy jumped at the chance. Yes, John, he said, I've saved them from a fire. So some of them are burnt on the corners. And John, unbeknown to us, one month later, tapped on the door and said, what have you done with the surveys? And Dad said, oh, we've investigated them and this. He said, well, you have them. What we discovered in reading them is that the pattern of the past wasn't the manuscript that Guy wanted published. Guy had at least 15 copies of the same manuscript, and and he sadly died in 1964, and it was George Applegate that published the pattern in the past. But we think it it was not the one that he wanted, because Guy was a pioneer. He was forever looking into something and then changing to the truths that he got, his opinions. One of the things that Guy looked at a lot was spiral patterns and circular patterns and beautiful horseshoe patterns. This pattern of the spiral, which he calls the geospiral, he said was the harmonic surface pattern of very sacred water. Call it primary water, uh, water diviners. I call it yin water because it's born within the womb of the earth. Wherever this uh, water is uh, beneath the surface, it starts to have a rotational pattern called a geospiral. And what our ancient ancestors did, they looked for this pattern which would mark the esoteric center of a sacred site, be that Stonehenge or Avebury. So it marked the esoteric center. And Guy said categorically, when he researched a lot of material, for the geospiral, he came across anecdotal evidence from World War II veterans. Now, the World War II veterans were saying to Guy, wherever we chose to sleep, we looked to the sheep and cattles where they lay. And there's that old feng shui saying of England, isn't it? You build your farmhouse where the sheep do fly, isn't it? Because it's got good energy. Very ancient saying. And the soldiers were doing that, and they were looking for patterns within the ground that kind of made either a semicircle pattern or a circular pattern. And basically, they kind of coopy down there and sleep for the night. Bear in mind, they've got backpacks. It's probably raining. Every one of those soldiers woke up and said to Guy, we were cured of our ailments. Aching shoulders, some had toothache, some had fear of, of going into war. And he said, we were all healed. So Guy started to think, I wonder if this has got a harmonic healing pattern. But more than that, the soldiers had another experience that they spoke to Guy about. And that not only did they wake up feeling very healed and very cured... But they all had a very similar dream. And in that dream, a woman would come to them, their lover, their mother, their wife, their cousin, their sister, their aunt. A woman would come to them in their dreams and tell them everything was going to be okay and they would survive the war. Paul Devereux has long pointed out that near surface springs, where the water comes up to the surface, people often have dreams about the goddess. So this pattern is intimately associated with visions about the goddess. And let's think about Bernadette at Lourdes. When she was scratching at that ground, who manifested in front of her to tell her the sacred waters were about to come up from the earth? The Blessed Virgin Mary. 
in a, a guise that probably Bernadette could understand. So we're going to look at the fact that this does have a very strong uh, healing field. It's immensely healing. But normally we think about underground water, don't we? As people, you don't want to live above underground water? Christ, that's got geopathic stress. I don't, I don't want that. This is where uh, Guy and other researchers alike, like, like, my, like my late father, for example, said this is harmonic and one is yang. Where predominantly rainwater falls down from the sky and fills up the aquifers and the streams, that's yang water, if you will. Where this water is born within the depths of Gaia and where that comes up to the surface, that's your holy spring. That's your healing water. Where that water is bored, that's your holy well. And that's how I and my father uh, differentiate between the two types of water. One's harmonic and one definitely isn't. And also, it always marks the esoteric centre of stately homes. Now, I don't watch Downton Abbey at all. <laughs> Mum loves it. Yeah. <laughs> but we all get that vision of a stately home. It's got a huge drive, hasn't it? Going right the way down, the sweeping centre. The uh, masons, the medieval masons of the Knights Templar alike, they would look for the esoteric centre in the land. Yeah? That's why you go down a huge sweeping drive, for instance. Mum still likes Downton Abbey, regardless of all of that. But this is what we're going to look at, the spiral pattern as well. And when we look to places like Stonehenge, for example, this is a survey done in the 60s by Guy Underwood. Uh, it marks the esoteric centre, because you will, most of you here that have been to Stonehenge know that the, here, the altar stand isn't in the centre, it's the near centre, marking that geospiral pattern. In Native America, I study a lot of uh, American sites, for, for example, because uh, when I was about 13, uh, my dad took me to Cahokia in America amongst man, so they've always uh, fascinated me. And a lot of the American dancers that have been looking into the geospiral phenomenon, they're looking to the, the landscape, and it seems that, again, the ancient uh, uh, Indian peoples knew about it. And even the oldest uh, spiral carvings that could depict the geospiral go back to 16,000 uh, BC. So it's like a kind of known throughout the ancient world that these were uh, sacred. So that was marked the centre yeah, of any sacred place, especially stone circles and pyramids and earthen mounds. That's what the ancients were doing. Guy also, with his uh, particular type of dancing rod, he would then say, well, which part of my body does it affect? You know, like normally you just kind of walk around with two dancing rods and, and they cross. Guy would use the sensitivity of his body. So if he was looking, for example, for yin water, if we can uh, call it that, he would use his left hand. Yeah? If he's looking for other types of energy, he'd use his right hand. So he'd program his body, how it reacts to a certain energetic field. That was one way he would uh, do that. He found, time and time again, huge circular patterns of energy. These are very, very energetic patterns. And they're naturally associated with uh, earth energy and sometimes with uh, underground sacred water. And we can see on the inside it has an inner shadow, yeah? And if you've got places like Avery, especially Roll Right, it's, it's great fun because you can feel it. Just like Guy said, you can feel the earth energy pulsating through your body. 
because the inner shadow periodically starts to interact with the outer layer there and kind of change places and pull back, change places and pull back. And if you're stood by a stem circle, for example, and you're feeling that primary halo, as he called it, pulse, you can feel it like a wave motion going through the ground. It's charging up the stem circles with the power of the earth. So we can see uh, Guy's legacy was known to the ancients. And you can feel it. You can douse it. You can stand there, and even some of the most insensitive people I have met on the planet, if you say to them, come on, you stand there, yeah, for, you know, let's make it half an hour or so, you will feel something, preferably barefoot, and time and time again, they feel it. And I think this is what uh, crop circles are associated with as well, the, not necessarily just the underground water, these circular uh, patterns, they're quite energetic as well. So they're kind of constantly changing and pouring out uh, energy into the landscape. So imagine it's like a wave motion going out as well. This is how strong it is. So Guy would take a dowsing rod, for example, and think this is my sensitive side. This is a sensitive yin energy. Therefore, I'm going to use my left side of my body and I'm going to cross it at a right angle facing your left out. That's how he started to build up awareness of the earth. And we will notice at this moment, for example, that it's in threes, yeah? Gaia often speaks in the number three. Just like the moon is yin and it has three phases, the earth has three phases uh, in earth energy, according to the old uh, masters. So when we look to places like Kalanish uh, Stone Circle and this earthen uh, circle quite close to Stonehenge <coughs> that isn't on a map, it's called the Codford Stone Circle, which I'm sure Lucy Pringle can remember a few years ago. There was a crop circle associated to it. Nine times out of ten, they're associated to that circular pattern. Highly energised. It's almost like the ancients were looking at that to give life to their, their circles, to give life to their sacred space. Now, when we kind of start to interact with this energy, what happens? I mean, it's long been known by dowsers that there, there's certain bands on energies, on standing stones rather, two bands are below ground and five above, which equate to like our chakra system. We have seven chakras, and so do stones, yeah? Now, you plug that into that primary halo pattern, you plug that into that geospiral pattern, stones and people start to behave and integrate the energy in a particular manner. Band number two is extraordinary because it sends a laser signal to another stone, to another stone, to another stone, creating this matrix of electromagnetic energy. Band number three is magical. Go to a stone circle, uh, uh, to a standing stone, Place your feet slightly apart like that and then lean against the stone, preferably around about the quarter moon, and you will feel a force push you away from the stone or directly into the stone, and you can't stop it, yeah? And that is really intriguing because you start to feel um, the energy. Now, I've always been a little bit portly. I'm always trying dieting fads and things like that. And uh, Busty, who's outside and is the co-author of Avebury Sun and Moon, which this information's in that book, 
said to me, I'm going to get some really sophisticated uh, measurement weight, uh, so we can measure our weight in relation to standing stones, because my dad always said, I think these nodal points, particular angles on these stones, can bring about weightlessness of the stones. So anyway, I leant against the stone, chose the right part of the moon, and it was fantastic. I lost half a stone in seconds. I'm thinking, wow, if only I could bowl this, I'd be made a fortune. On the other hand, and talk to Busty about his experiences, he feels himself getting heavier. And we had this weightlessness, you know, when in planes, Busty works on airfield, you see, you have to measure out weightlessness. And he was getting heavier and heavier and heavier by the moment. So we think the Earth energy can change your weight and it can change the, the landscape, yeah? So we're in tentative studies at the moment to prove, uh, hopefully for a, a film, that we can lift uh, a, a stone by interacting with this, but it has to be plugged in, preferably, to an earth current, like Hamish's or one of these patterns. Now, I'm sure a lot of you, uh, you guys have heard of Rodney Hale here, lovely chap, worked with Paul Devereux on the Dragon Project back in the 70s. He was their chief electrical engineer, <laughs> yeah, like going out there. And, and he's an absolute darling, actually, uh, Rodney. And uh, so I said a few years ago, can we start to try and prove that these bands exist? And can we kind of get the frequency of these bands as well? Because we all know everything is energy, and everything is frequency. So he said, oh, Maria, if, uh, if this was about to be, you know, uh, measured, Paul Devereux would have got it. But I suppose Paul Devereux's not looking for this. Anyway, so I bribed him. Always works with guys, doesn't it? Lots of beer and fish and chips at the, at the Red Lion. Worked every time. So he came out, and this is what he got. He got exactly at those bands, a frequency coming out. And he did it through the statistical T-test, very late left brain stuff, which says basically 99.9% accurate that this occurs. So I said to Rodney, well, what's his frequency then? You know, and he's very clever, he's got his laptop and everything. And he said it's 18 hertz, yeah? And I said, well, that's just below our ability to hear at 20 hertz. What if they could set up an oscillating resonance? You'd hear the sound of the Earth energy, yeah? And we think that's what they were doing. They could hear it. They made things audible because, strictly speaking, that's called ultrasound. You can't hear it. You get infrasound and ultrasound. So we think the ancients probably heard a lot more. So what happens when I interact with this type of energy? Rodney, he's, he's a, an amazing chap. He got something like 2,000 metres of like copper coil and made this coil which was so, so sensitive to electromagnetic energy. You just have to stand in it and it would register any magnetic change that I was happening. So I thought, well, what does happen when I lean against uh, the stones? And here's the way it says coil alone. That's the coil without anybody in it. Then there's, it says Maria in coil standing upright, and you can see the signal starting to go up, yeah? That's the black fuzzy bit. And then it says Maria in coil, hands on stone. And it goes right up again. But intriguingly, after test, after test, after test, we found when you come away from the Earth energy, it stays in your body. And just like they were saying in Europe, it stays in your body critically for four days. Your whole aura is expanding. Your energy field is expanding. Your frequency is going up. 
And we'll notice right down the bottom of the 5 to 7 hertz frequency, which is called the Schumann resonance, yeah? It's like the heartbeat of Gaia, yeah? And we always find that frequency. And the European dancers from Italy, they have said, yes, it's four days, just like your results. So you could interact with that stone at Avebury for three minutes, and yet four days later, your aura is still expanding. It's a truly a magical process, the earth energy. And what Guy discovered at Stonehenge was that if you in, make slight indentations in the stones, in the chakra points, in those bands that we saw, the energy, as he defined it, comes out in a Fibonacci spiral. Yeah? Sadly, at Stonehenge these days, you can't even touch the stones, can you? They don't even allow you to touch the stones anymore in private access. But at one time, you could lie on, this, on the slaughter stone, because it's now recumbent, and actually feel that energy come out. Uh, and it would definitely start to affect your spine. Everybody said that they interacted with that type of energy. So we must see that even after a while, once that stone has been rooted into one of Guy's earth energy patterns, we'll say, it behaves in a particular manner. And it seems that all standing stones do that. But when man comes along many centuries later and topples those stones, it's still registering those energy patterns that we can interact with. And hopefully, as we'll see, have healing from but I also discovered another energy pattern, for example, and he called this a secondary halo. Yeah, it has a huge gap in it. Not necessarily at the top, for example, because that gap could be anywhere around the circle. But that huge gap lets all the free-flowing Earth energy into a monument. And we'll see this horseshoe shape to be surrounding a monument. Sometimes acres, absolute acres. And uh, again, ancient man was fully aware of these patterns within the land. And he would cite a stone circle on the inside, and this would be seen as protective. Because Guy, in all his research, found that whenever you have an energy pattern and it loops in, like this is like looping in on itself, the top, that would represent sacredness, protection, and spiritual protection. Whenever that kind of energy current goes the opposite way and faces out, Guy said, well, in all of my research, he found that that represented a lack of spiritual protection. And intriguingly, Guy was quite a well-to-do person, so he was in the know. He was like a barrister, and he went around posh families and stuff like that, looking for, for the earth force. And what he found time and time again was where you have the negative energy you have blind houses where people used to get shoved into uh, they didn't have any windows you've got one near Stonehenge called Shruton where you would be waiting trial he found uh, large orphanages on the negative earth energies as well so you join the dots there if you wish but this he saw as being very profoundly uh, protective. And around some of the very vast crop circles that have appeared in the landscape, around Avebury, around Stonehenge, you always have this immensely powerful pattern. All of these energies uh, have numbers. This is, the, this is six, it's speaking in threes. Every now and again it will multiply to 12, then it will multiply to 18, then it will revert back on itself to the number 12. 
And at Stonehenge, you can just about stand on here, and this, this goes quite frequently, about four times a day, and you can feel this uh, earth force uh, in your body. It's truly a magical experience because you do feel something very profound. Uh, and a lot of people say to me when they interact with these energies, I really, really did feel it. And I saw something come up with me as well, because they do affect your consciousness. And that's what a lot of people find when they interact with these energies, visions uh, manifest and things like that. In the ancient world, uh, they looked for this pattern for protection, and they would cite, according to uh, Guy, a lot of towns and cities to symbolize protection around their walled cities. And that's why Guy said a lot of the cities were originally round. They were facing the horseshoe uh, shape, and they were in that protection zone. They were protected by Gaia. Yeah. So that was a, a critical fact that I think Guy, that should be one of Guy's legacies. Because when we, when we start to interact with this energy, we can feel it. This is about moving forward, this talk as well, isn't it? It's about looking at Guy's work of the past and thinking, well, where can we take this for the future? And the way I see it is, what if you have that healing geospiral pattern and you integrated that into a hospital? What if you started integrating this into the planning? And I've been really fortuitous in the past couple of years. There are very big, uh, quite wealthy architects in America that are using these patterns to see if they really do work. In fact, the biggest Buddhist center in L.A. that's about to be built is going to be built on these principles of, of Dear Guy Underwoods. Now, Silby Hill. Guy adored Silbury Hill. I adore Silbury Hill. I live just down the road from Silbury Hill. And I love it. Each time I go shopping, I wave at Silbury. She's beautiful. She was gleaming white originally amid the lush green landscape. All year round, she was surrounded by uh, water. And Guy said that's on a very large geospiral pattern with a big horseshoe round it. In fact, all of the sacred waters emerge from Silbury Hill. And he did quite a few surveys. He went to this monument 200 times. He can't even climb it now. But he went there 200 times. Now, my late father, he was quite good at looking at, at the architectural designs of monuments. And Silbury Hill is actually a seven-step pyramid. Yeah? It goes up in chalk. But on the inside of that monument, you have layers of organic and inorganic, organic and inorganic material, which is what Wilhelm Reich, who was into free energy, said was a way of outpouring energy into the landscape. It's free energy, exclaimed Reich in the 1930s. Whoa, American corporate companies didn't like that one. So they banged him up and burnt most of his manuscripts. But he was saying free energy is generated by those layers. That's exactly what you've got at Silbury Hill. In fact, it's in a step pyramid and it's on a huge energy zone, which a guy mapped out over 200 visits and said this is a geodetic power center. Yeah. So I thought, wow, that sounds pretty impressive to me. And so I got a, a chap called David Webb, lovely uh, chap, really left brain as well, no nonsense. You know, if I say I feel something, it's tut, you know, really left brain. That's really good for me because it balances. And he said, what if we try and use equipment like a field mill, 
like voltage meters and a spectrum analyzer and all, all of this other stuff, what would we get on the top of Silbury and what would we get in a control away from guys' energies, away from places where other dancers had said they got energy, like Mary Michael, uh, the Mary line flows through there. So David came out with, uh, with me uh, two years ago to Silbury Hill. Uh, not that I advocate it because you're not allowed to, but we climbed the top, so that's between us uh, here, and we took a measurement. And David then said, oh, the equipment's broken. You know, oh, it's, 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 something's blown the equipment. So we had to go all the way back down and come back uh, two weeks later. And I said, are you sure, David, that it's not just the energies here that's, that's blowing the, the equipment? No, 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 it was, it was too cold, it was this, it was that came back and, uh, and he found it again that this frequency is a thousand times greater in putting out a huge DC field around the landscape. And if you go and take a control sample, say for example near the road, everything dips back. So when we build upon these emerging currents... Of, of holy water coming out of the ground, it seems to charge the area, not just with an electrical field. And I will predict within the next year, we probably can prove there was light in the ancient world through using the uh, earth energies. But also, it's a huge negative ion field that it's pouring out as well. So these truly are power places, second to none. Hello, I'm Caroline Uchima. I work for the World Peace Prayer Society, Allenton World Peace Sanctuary in Dumfries, and you are listening to Adventures in Dowsing. Just a couple of bits of news today. The winter period is always a bit tough for many folks, and since our last podcast, three very well-respected dowsers have uh, left us. Firstly, Laurie Booth was a very down-to-earth, pragmatic guy who was best known for his work in dowsing for archaeology. Uh, he'd been a recipient of the BSD's Avery Cup a few years back in recognition of his work in that field. Uh, Professor Peter Stewart was the life president of the Dowsing Research Group and a great experimenter in all fields of dowsing, particularly in relation to consciousness and remote viewing. Peter was an amazingly learned scientist and a great speaker. He was involved with the British Space Programme back in the 60s, and according to the British Interplanetary Society, he was, at the time, one of five Brits voted most likely to go into space. Finally, Christopher Strong was a real gentleman's dowser, always a staunch supporter of the BSD and a great afternoon speaker. He was a great teacher, always happy to give his time to anyone who wanted it, and his book, Autobiography of a Skeptical Dowser, is a fascinating insight into the world of dowsing. So, as our American colleagues say, they have now joined the ranks of the sky dowsers. So that's all the news. Let's get back to Maria's talk. Now, in ancient China, uh, as I guess that you guys are all into to feng shui or feng shui, depending on how uh, you say it, well, Dad showed quite a few Chinese geomancers, some of Guy's uh, surveys, and Guy would call this like a primary halo. And they go, no, 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 that's called the coil of the dragon. And wherever you have the coil of the dragon, going round and round and round in sets of threes or sets of six, just like Guy said, and you uh, place your ancestors on that, that would give your ancestors a kind of head start, if you will, the descendants, rather, of the ancestors, like a head start. 
they would be fortuitous, they would have luck and wealth, and that's how the Chinese saw it. So the Chinese would look for these kind of patterns in the land and think that, you know, it would control their destiny. Now, I love research, and I love reading antiquarian reports about Stonehenge and Avebury and places like that, and I came across one of the most curious reports about five years ago. And the, the report said that uh, uh, an antiquarian dug up one of these uh, Bronze Age mounds, that's what they are, that's a Bronze Age mound with the coil of the dragon going round it and round it and round it, perpetual motion all of the time, and he dug it up. And he found this skull. And the skull really shocked him because the hair was well preserved. And more than that, he looked at the skull and the teeth were as white as snow. That's what he wrote in his report. And he said this, the skull was too well preserved for chalk downland. So what he did, he ordered his workmen to smash it in front of him. He said, smash that skull now. Workman obliges, because he's probably going to get a few uh, extra copper coins or something, because this was in the, the 1800s. He picked up his sledgehammer, put it on the skull, and it bounced back. So he now drops it and goes, I'm not doing that, I'm not doing that. And the other workman said, we're, we're not doing this. So he himself got the sledgehammer, and it took him three attempts to crack that skull. But the, Ch the Chinese geomancers, they seem to already know, yes, that's preserving life. The ancients uh, were looking to preserve life, and we in China, not now, because they're going mad, aren't they, and building wherever, we'll be going over there pretty soon and telling them how to do feng shui because they'd have forgotten how to do it. But that's what they were looking for. This earth energy will preserve you. It will give you a long uh, life. And Guy, he went around a lot of stately homes, yeah, around the Bradford-upon-Avon area and around Bath and around London. And time and time again, he found that these patterns prevail in stately homes. So he always asked about their health. And of course, they've got better diets. Of course, they've got servants providing for them. But nonetheless, they seem to all live to be a ripe old age, as, uh, as we say. And Guy also said this was a life-preserving uh, symbol as well. This is called a branch spiral. I showed Peter Knight, he's another local author from the Avebury area, this pattern in West Kennet Longbarren. And when you go into the far chamber of West Kennet Longbow, the kind of uh, western chamber, you will notice, with a little bit of a discerning eye, that the ground dips slightly. Because what happens is people naturally go to that energy point and they stand there. They don't know why they're doing it, they just do that. And that's because it's right above that spiral pattern. And David Webb, who I spoke of earlier, he did some tests there and there's a huge outpouring of uh, negative ions. And negative ions make us feel good. So there is truth to Guy's work. Time and time again, when we take the equipment out over those spots, and David's really pernickety with me, and sometimes he gives me a really hard time, our control will be about a metre away from this point where we put the probes into the ground. And same with, uh, with Rodney Hale. He, he was very pernickety uh, as well. I'd just take them to there and say, this is a branch spiral, this is uh, whatever earth energy we were looking uh, into. This was Rodney's survey uh, of the Mary and Michael currents in the Avery environs of Hamish Miller and Paul Broadhurst Fay. <laughs> 
Now, I had the really good idea of he puts his copper probes in, and they were huge, long probes like this. You had to have a wet day as well, where the ground was slightly uh, easy to, to manipulate. And what he did, I said, let's go to the points where they can join, the two earth currents. Let's go to that point. Blew the equipment time and time again. So I thought, well, that's a dumb idea. We'd better go to the Mary current, because maybe she'll be a little bit more gentle. <coughs> And could you see if there's frequencies emitted in that energy current compared to the control literally that far away, either side of the Mary current, and see what we get? Well, Rodney, after much analysis, got three distinctive uh, signals. The Schumann resonance we we talked about earlier, heartbeat of Gaia, was right by 10 hertz, 7 hertz. And right to the far end, we've got that 25 hertz frequency. Now, Rodney said... You know, you've got to take out all the man-made signals. We're in there about 30, sometimes a bit lower, 50s, an AC current. We've got to take all of those out to get to here. And then I had one of those moments where I looked at that and thought, my God, that mirrors our brains. The earth energy currents mirror my brain. When I'm really relaxed, you know, I'm going to be in that alpha, theta mode. When I'm really kind of thinking really hard, I'm in beta now if you rig me up, and I'm really thinking I'm going to be in a, a gamma uh, state, these energies seem to mirror everything. So I think, for instance, if you cross the Mary current at a right angle and follow her near center, you're following the 5 hertz frequency. 25 hertz is a magical frequency. It's the frequency of levitation. It will levitate something off the ground. So the way I see it is, not only did the Mary and Michael currents of Hamish fame mark ancient sites, they had a practical uh, use as well, possibly to levitate all the stones used for them. So I think of it as being a kind of practical and spiritual frequency as well. And this is how we can interact with these energies. We literally cross them and follow them, and our brains will come into sync with these lovely earth energies. The Devil's Den, uh, near my hometown of Marlborough, is a wonderful sacred site. Guy went there and he did an awful lot of surveys, which you can see here. He noticed that none of the energy was actually going to the monument. It was encircling the monument, like a primary halo and like the coil of the dragon. And he thought, that's really unusual. It's like being irrigating the landscape and all of these channels coming out. Michael Parker Pearson told me categorically that it was on a mound, and it would probably be like the mound there. Now, when uh, my late father decided to do some ultrasound tests there, he found uh, that there was a key signal of 35 hertz going out of the landscape, all across the landscape, and this had been previously found by Dr. Don Robbins of the Dragon Project. So it's like these monuments irrigate the land all around them. They could be pushing out their energies that can affect for two to three miles. And this monument, the Devil's Den, was an association with lots of other monuments going right across the landscape. And if you follow them to a logical conclusion by kind of snaking across the landscape, you go all the way on top of the downs to the Templar Chapel and you find what's called the Templar Bath. And the Templar Bath is a huge piece of sarsen stone. They're the stones that made Avebury and Stonehenge. Second in strength, just to diamond alone. But the ancients somehow uh, did a pentacle shape, bored it through two feet of sarsen stone, and you said if you bathe in there, you experience healing. 
And that's where all of these energies seem to be going. They seem to be going way up to uh, the landscape. And I think they are definitely irrigating. And this is what I mean. If we can learn to live in harmony with Gaia, if we can learn to identify these patterns, then we will live in harmony with, uh, with the <coughs> Earth. So when Guy went to places like the sanctuary to, to survey them, this is his uh, survey of the sanctuary, which he kind of got Mary and Michael to uh, some degree. But he said that when you have uh, inter, interact with this sort of energy, your consciousness categorically will change. I know a lot of the local druids, for example, in the Avebury area. And there's a really big druid. He's like this bear bloke. He's really lovely. He's a chief arch druid of Avebury. And uh, he stood in the centre of the sanctuary at Samhain. That's November the 1st, the start of our Celtic year. And he levitated. And he said he felt again. It was that frequency coming up the ground. It was only, he only went that far off the ground, but enough to make him sort of do, it was like one of those comedy acts, you know, where somebody's trying to get their balance back like this. And then he kind of landed on his feet and went, basically, what the hell happened uh, there? So we can see through our experiences today with the Earth Force, what Guy discovered about the Earth Force is, is truly uh, magical. And for me, his legacy will live on. It lives on in dowsers like us. But the way I see the future as well is working hand-in-hand hand with architects to change the way that we build. Yeah? And I don't see them employing dowsers. I can see them using equipment that people like David Webb and others can create to help them understand the earth force. Because I truly believe, just like the ancient Chinese, coil of the dragon, it will preserve your life force. And living in harmony with the earth is the only way to go. So I'd like to think that my presentation here today has inspired us to look back to the great masters of old and to live in harmony with the earth. Because we can all make the change. We, hand in hand and heart to heart, can look at the way that we douse and the way that we live for the future and create a better world for our children and our children's children. Thank you. That's right. That's how Guy Underwood, my late father, and a lot of uh, the old masters would see things, like in yin and yang, polarity. Just recently at the University of Washington, Dr. Gerald Pollack has been looking into our cells. Now, he realises when water is under pressure, yeah, so imagine you've got the fissure systems coming deep underground with that yin water, it changes, it becomes highly oxygenised, and it turns from H2O into H3O2. That's sacred water. It's H3O2. And you can look, this is the University of Washington, they're looking into this. And that matches, that sacred water matches the water in your cells. 
whatever feels you put that in, a bit like radionics. I was talking to these ladies here about radionics, and I wear the pattern of the geo symbol, uh, geo spiral, for example. And where you seem to put water on top of that, it seems to be able to add to its healing frequency and quality. It's like a symbol of geopathic stress that Mother Earth has given us to work with. So, yeah, it's highly oxidised, and that's the difference. Sometimes the two will blend together. You know, you'll get predominantly yang to predominantly yin, but it does seem that now most physicists and uh, most investigators are looking for uh, H3O2. Maria, did you dodge the energies of Silvery Hill when they were doing the subsidence work on it, the corrective subsidence work? What did you find? Well, what I found uh, was that it was almost like slightly out of kilt, yeah? It was like, you know, if I'm stood straight now, it was like leaning to, to one side. Also, what I found, because I went uh, in through to the tunnel, because I, I know the local archaeologists, it was definitely changing uh, how I was feeling. Uh, high iron levels there, just like you get in any uh, pyramid. So we think that when the work was taking place, it was like vibrating at a different frequency, but then seem to go more in kilt. Well, that's interesting, because some of the people who lived at Avery Clansville, when the work was going on, their electricity bill called, well, went mm. up by ten times. Mm. And they had to call out the electricity people. And they said, well, that's what the meter is reading. And they said it couldn't possibly be right, because all the other years going back, it hadn't been anything like that. They stopped the excavation for a time. The next time the meeting was read, it was back to normal. They started work again, and again it went absolutely wild. Mm. It seems as though they were on a direct line to the hill, and there was a huge disturbance going mm. on. Martin Sell had the same thing, act because if you then start to take a line from Silbury Hill, for example, <coughs> through Merlin's Mount, which is in the Marlborough grounds of the posh Marlborough College, yeah. and then you go on further to, to Martin Sell, their ele- electricity bills start to spiral out of control whilst as well. They, whilst they were doing the work. And they have bored really, really deeply to what they think uh, is, uh, is yin water. And uh, when the water board came out, they said it's, it's purer than, than pure. And hopefully we're going to get a sample through uh, Dr. Gerald Pollock to say that that's H3O2. I took an author from Canada out as well recently around the sacred landscape. And he was doing a very similar thing to my own research. And he was saying that there's a point in the mid-Atlantic ridge big fault line isn't it? the mid-Atlantic ridge and that is producing a new type of water he said I'm not sure what it is he'd heard of this work he said it could be H3O2 but what they noticed by taking a core sample I don't know what they were doing I think it was the Navy actually was taking a core sample that whatever this water came into contact with seemed to clear it so it's almost like Gaia could be producing from the depths of her womb a healing water to heal the oceans. I certainly like to think so in the light of Fukushima. When, when we do traditional healing um, in Canada, uh, out in, for example, in Regina, where there were ancient um, native uh, sites where there, the tipis were on the ground, they are um, the the healing energy is very, very high. And the water is also, uh, has a very high healing um, quality to it. 
and wherever there were villages with the, like the, the teepees, and it was the circles that seemed to um, attract and have a, a connection to the, the earth and the ground and the water, and it, it changed that water underneath the, that Absolutely, area. absolutely, and our druids did that, just like the ancients, and looked to any ancient site worldwide doesn't matter where it is, whether it's America, Stonehenge, Stanton, Stanton Drew, wherever, it's always connected to water. Mm. All ancient sites will lead to a river. It's like they're kind of cleansing their area. And these people were sensitive and they, and they knew where to place their teepees or in the Druid tradition, their roundhouses, which were round, in incorporating these energies. These are sacred sites, but you can find them in your locality. As Guy said, his opening statement on the geodetic system of Earth energies, they interlace the planet. So they're there for us to interact with. What's the significance of the organic and inorganic layering? That's a really, that's a really good question. Well, it was Wilhelm Reich uh, who uh, determined a, a system called an organ accumulator, and he said that it needed to be living at one time to generate his free organ energy. And organ energy, Wilhelm Reich said, again, is associated with water. So Silbury Hill is like a massive organ uh, accumulator. And if you want just snippets of like this to do with Guy Underwood, I've got a, a poster out there. It's a pretty colour poster. It's a fold-out map of all the earth energies and PowerPoints of Silbury and Avebury. But he said categorically that it was that layering system that would produce the energy. Its real significance, in all honesty, I don't know. I've just read his work and that's what he seems. And mounds worldwide, if you go to Cahokia in America, which has the largest uh, mound in the world, well, it did, it's a shadow of its former self, that, again, was built in that particular layering system. Microcrystal at the bottom, something like a chalk, uh, which was, you know, once on the seabed, and then a layer of uh, rock or stone, and it would layer up like that, or a layer of sarsen. And right at the top of Silbury Hill, you had a big piece of limestone. Extraordinary. <laughs> okay, I think we'll have to leave it there, folks. Thanks once again to Maria for a great talk. I'd actually started editing this podcast together at the time, but as I said at the beginning, it can be difficult editing these things, uh, taking out any obvious visual references when there are slides involved in the presentation. And then you have to balance levels and remove mistakes, and try and bring in the audience questions, remove extraneous noises and so on. It takes quite a while to edit these things, and for some reason, uh, I was probably just got busy, I guess, I never finished the edit at the time, and I've only just rediscovered this on a backup disc. So anyway, I thought it was a good talk and definitely worth sharing, so I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, as usual, I'll put a link to Maria's website on the main podcast page. And if you have any comments about the show that you would like to share, uh, you can send me an email at podcast at adventuresindowsing.com or you can leave a comment on the main website, adventuresindowsing.com. There's also a podcast discussion section on the new britishdowsing.net slash forum, along with lots of other dowsing discussions, of course. And if you've enjoyed the podcast, please do take a moment to write a good review on iTunes. It really helps with the old Google search rankings. 
So my thanks as always for listening. Thanks to Wintergatten for the new theme music. Let me know what you think of that. And uh, Ian Pegler for the news sting. And I hope you can join me next time for some more Adventures in Dancing. Dancing.